When do humans come of age? Is it when our bodies are physically mature? Or when our brain finishes developing in our mid-twenties? Is it when we leave home? Or is it well before that? In Latin America, there's a special celebration called the quinceañera that marks the transition from girlhood to womanhood. Taking place during a girl's 15th birthday, this traditional party is characterized by bold colors, glitter, over-the-top dresses, and choreographed dances. Fascinated by this tradition and its ties to identity and culture, Argentinian fashion designer and artist Anabela Berguero has spent years deconstructing quinceañeras. My name is Rosario Lebrija Rasbetalle, and this is Sublime Art, a podcast that brings you artists from all mediums whose work calls on the sublime. Today we have the pleasure of speaking to award-winning fashion designer and artist Anabela Berguero in her latest exhibition, Heart of the Community, currently on show at Viana Art Project Room in Miami, where this episode was recorded to a live audience. Using religious pop iconography and the vibrant colors of urban Latin American life, Anabela explores the social-political intricacies of quinceañeras. Anabela is a professor at Instituto Maragoni in Miami. She has been featured in L'Oficial, Vogue, ID Magazine, Harper's Bazaar, Clara Newspaper, and exhibited internationally, including in Buenos Aires, Mexico City, New York, and Miami. We're in a very interesting space in front of the Faena Hotel. This is the Faena Art Project Room. Um, and we're with a special artist, Anabela Berguero, who's a multi-awarded fashion designer and also an artist born in Argentina, raised in Mexico. She's currently a professor at the Instituto Maragoni in Miami. And her work has been featured in Vogue and Harper's Bazaar, among many other publications. Um, and she was voted a Emerging Designer of the Year by Harper's Bazaar Argentina. Her work has been shown internationally, but today we have the privilege of having her here in the Faena Art Project Room. So thank you for joining us. Gracias, and for me it's a privilege to host all of you here. So yeah, thank you for coming. So tell us about this room before we, we delve into this incredible and very vivid exhibition. Well, where should I start? It's uh, the heart of community is an installation, but more than an installation, it's a creative hub where we're gathering and we're reuniting around art and creative expression. So apart from the installation, we're also hosting workshops and we're inviting the community in. We're creating podcasts and teaching my classes sometimes here. So the idea is really kind of to rethink the space, the, the gallery space into one that can really permeate uh, disciplines, borders, and, and can function as a little cultural center, in a way. <laughs> yeah, I heard one of the last workshops that you did, a tie-dye workshop, also got flooded. It got flooded, and we were dancing, because actually the water reached here, so we would all be underwater. Well, in some cultures, rain is meant to be a blessing, mm. so I am going to take it like that. Yeah, okay. <laughs> we can all move forward. I feel it. But let's talk about this exhibition. I mean, you, you call it a card of the community. Tell us about why you chose this name and what, what's it, what it's all about. Actually, the, the word heart, right? The heart that you're seeing all over the room comes from a quinceañera festivity. In quinceañera celebration, mostly in traditional places in Latin America, the heart is a vehicle through which the girl turns into a woman, right? That, that process of becoming is done in a heart pillow like this one, where the girl has the first high heels, right? So pretty much the first high heels is when a girl can, you know, is becoming a woman and, and she can wear them for the first time. So it's a vehicle 
for this rite of passage, and here is a vehicle for reuniting, gathering, and creating community, because this place is, all of us are creating community, it's not me, it's not the space, it's every one of you that came here, that talked with each other, and so that's what this space is all about. Yeah, to all of you who were not here earlier, um, we had a bit of an incident that the water started coming We're calling the it a performance, by the way. Exactly. <laughs> We're rebranding it. It's a performance. Performance <laughs> art, exactly. It was meant to happen. <laughs> and what got you so involved in quinceañeras? It all started with my own quinceañera, that I didn't want to have one. Uh, my parents forced me to have a quinceañera when I was 15, because I was the firstborn daughter in a very traditional Latin American family. So they were like, we're not doing this for you. We're doing this for us, right? <laughs> and they invited all their friends. I was like, okay, we do it, but I have certain, you know, I have, I negotiated certain conditions. So right. I was gonna do my own entry, not like, you know, grab by my father's arm. I was welcoming my guests at the door. And so after that, I'm not wearing a puffy dress, but then for this project, I wore all the puffy dresses and I was so happy about it. Like sort of redid the rite of passage when I turned 30. <laughs> so it started with my own personal narrative. And then I realized, like, there's not much about this. Like, not many people are writing in, in an academic perspective around quinceañera. And a lot of women in Latin America go through this rite of passage. And there's not much context around it from an art perspective or a fashion perspective even. Except if you go to these certain places that I went when I created the, you know, the research for the exhibition. Yeah. Why were you rejecting it? <laughs> because what does it mean to become a woman? Like, you're 14, all of a sudden you're like, oh, welcome to womanhood. It's like, what? Like, where's the instruction manual? I, I'm still reading it, by the way. I'm still reading it. There's no instruction manual. I think we all are. You're making it yourself. So I think it was, uh, like, very impactful. All of a sudden you were the center of attention. You're introduced to society and wearing things that you know, normally, you're not wearing that, right? Makeup and the hairstyle and all of these things. And I was a shy, a shy girl. Not anymore. Yeah, I mean, we don't <laughs> see anymore. that here. Yeah, no, I think this project really broke me from it. And, and it really taught me so much about what I went through when I was a kid. And at the same time, how can we rewrite certain stories we come from to make them in a way that they are, they have a context for the individual, they have a purpose, they have a, a learning. They, they, it's not just the tradition, it's not just throwing you in the quinceañera, but like, what's the meaning of it? What does it mean to become a woman? Um, so I, I learned so much. It's been such a, it took me four years since I started my research until you see all of these pieces put together here. So it's been a long process. It wasn't like a one day to the other thing. And it was in New York before this yeah. exhibition. So I actually started this research during my MFA in New York. And um, what happened was that my parents, I grew up in Mexico, but then we all left Mexico when I was 22, and I didn't reconnect with Mexico. So there was a part of my identity that was left in Mexico that I never went back to kind of look for it. But then when I was in New York in 2018, my parents moved to Mexico and I started visiting them more often. And then I was arriving in New York that, you know, there's this concept of America that is a very monolith, like very monolithic identity that you watch in the movies, like Mean Girl, I'm sorry, but that's my reference, <laughs> you know? So, there were quinceañera parties, Latinos all over, a lot of Mexicans, not so many Argentinians. So I sort of reconnected with that part of my identity. And I, while I was traveling to Mexico, I'm like, where am I, right? 30% Latinos is the population in New York. So I started going to Mexico, 
And I follow like a vital inner calling that was like, go to the quinceanera market. At that point, I thought <laughs> no, you not. did it. Yes. <laughs> I was like, I have chills. Wow. I really feel this. Sorry. <laughs> because I, I was following something, my voice, and I didn't know where that was going to lead me. I would never think that was going to lead me here. I just knew I had to follow las corazonadas, we call it. Mm. I, I was following my heart. And then... And I started doing a lot of performance. So it was like an ethnography performance. Because so you were doing fashion design. I was doing fashion design, but I got in my MFA fashion design saying, I don't think fashion is clothing. Like, I'm not going to make clothing right now. I'm going to research identity. Because ultimately, what we wear is we're creating, right, the persona, that image we're projecting to society. So I was researching more of that. But first, within a digital landscape. And then I was like, okay, I'm moving from the digital landscape into, like, the context, the world. And that's when I was starting to travel between Mexico and New York and going to all of these places, sort of tracing back very uh, meaningful parts of my own identity configuration. That is like, you know, that rite of passage, being a girl, being a woman, being from Argentina, Mexico, now in New York, but actually I was living in Copenhagen, London before New York. So I've been a little bit all over. You, and not only women, I think men as well who have been in different places, you sort of like not repress, but you forget parts of your culture that sometimes you have to like unearth. And then go back again and read, like trace back the steps that yeah. took you to something. And I'm thinking about this market, the quinceañera market, because it's amazing. La I mean, I'm seeing a lot of different nationalities in the audience, but you know, a lot of these places have incredible markets. Um, I'm looking at a friend who's from India and you know, I'm just thinking of you entering this space and it's that raw energy. And that was not the first time I entered the space, by the way. I went to that market because that was the market my mom purchased a quinceañera goods for my quinceañera party. And I didn't do my quinceañera party in Mexico because all my family, like my grandparents and cousins, like I have hundreds of them, they were all in Argentina. So I purchased the things in Mexico and brought them like to Argentina. Yeah. So the act in itself of like purchasing something from Mexico it was a very transcultural quinceañera. <laughs> um, and I went there because I've, I've been there, right? And how did this change your art? Because, I mean, I've seen some of the yeah. pieces from, you know, before this project, yeah. and your style seemed quite androgynous and a lot more black and white yeah. than what we're seeing here, which is a lot of vivid color everywhere. This is a, it's a, a, yeah, I'm sorry if you're overwhelmed. You can close your eyes for a second. We can meditate 10. Um, Yeah, so it's a, an amazing question because that was very much part of a personal journey as well, right? The relationship with color, the way we dress as well. Like, I was dressing in black, actually, all in black. And uh, all, I was doing fashion weeks in Argentina, so very much I got in the fashion industry, like the very normative fashion industry. Fashion weeks and having my brand, Maison Nomad was the name of my brand. And I was doing gender neutral, athleisure wear, monochrome, so grace, grayscale. And at that point in fashion, I, I, it was very future looking, so at that point in fashion it was very innovative, what I was proposing in terms of concept, in terms of silhouette, all of it, but it was not colorful. Because usually in fashion school using shiny things and colors is bad taste, mm -hmm. but I was like, but I actually grew up with a lot of color, a lot of shiny things around me. started having pieces in my home that would have color, and then I, I dared to start putting clothing which was colorful. And that experiment, plus the experiment of like a lot of photo documentaries I've done, really kind of brought color into my work. Not only color as well, right? I was doing gender neutral. So yeah. what I was proposing in terms of like gender, in terms of like identity, was very different to what I'm questioning right now. And I think it has to do a lot with my own quest into like 
my own gender identity in a landscape that, you know, there's a lot of questions about it in a way. So do you consider yourself one or the other? Or I'm a woman, neither? a beautiful woman. <laughs> beautiful Latina yes. woman, yes, yeah. really, yes. I, I feel it in my bones. It's such a pleasure to be a Latina woman. And it took me only 33 years to say this, or 32, yeah. <laughs> But it's interesting how you reject your femininity, I think, as you're leaving home and you're entering like the systems of the world, which are a lot more, I think, oriented towards the masculine, you know, the systematic workplace. It, it doesn't leave a lot of room for the feminine, you know, which everybody and has. Urban landscape is very different. They really enhance, at least to me, what I felt, more like masculine qualities. And then... I was weirdly researching femininity and womanhood within that landscape, which is very, you know... Well, your soul was hungry. My soul was hungry. But then I moved to Miami and, oh my God, I really, like, my soul flourished because I feel Miami is a more, like, feminine space and it offers me such a, a different, like, incubating hub to make myself. But, um, yeah. But a lot, of, a lot of these uh, motifs I see around us and in a lot of this art are still dark, you know, they, they are rooted in kind of darker omens of the society of Latin America, that there is this very thin line between this extreme happiness and these, this vibrancy and these types of colors and extreme poverty and violence and darkness. Mm -hmm. And I see it all around us. Can you tell us about how you incorporated this? Okay, I like that you mentioned that because usually it's not what's in your face, right? So there's a, a I like layers. Of, I like layers, yeah. <laughs> Tell me about it. So the collage actually speaks of layers, mm -hmm. right? The collage speaks about deconstruction and about reconstructing a new narrative, a, a new space. That what was happening is while I was research, while I was doing my research and, and doing that dress specifically and that heart right in, behind you, that one. That one. Yeah, yeah. That the green wave is this movement for reproductive rights in, in Latin America that started to be signified by a woman wearing a green bandana, whether it's in the wrist or, and women were starting to go out and in Did the it streets. start in Argentina? It started in yeah. Argentina, and then it really went on to all Latin America. In Argentina, they did a lot of changes in terms of like law, and I think as well in other places in Latin America. But that was the first moment in history in a while that a lot of women gathered and they said, enough is enough, right? Like we want certain things, we need to be taken care of by, the government, our bodies, by the community, by society. So while I was doing all of this, and when we speak about what does it mean to become a woman, right? There's so many other layers. Oh, again, chills. Oh. There's so many other layers that they're like our everyday life. La Virgen de Guadalupe, we can also speak about it, right? Yeah. Because she's also one of the most significant symbols of like femininity and womanhood in Latin America. Like, in every place I've been, every house when I was growing up, there was an image of La Virgen de Guadalupe that she protects you. Es la madre de todos. She's the mother of all of us. So there's a lot of intersecting subjects from religiosity to mm. feminism in a way. So there's a lot of layers, like transcultural identity formations, uh, migration as well. One of the dresses is once an immigrant, you're always an immigrant, right? The idea, like... I'm coming from a family of immigrants in Argentina, and then I migrated my whole life. So the idea of like, once you're out, you're never in again. So why are we seeing the world under this in and out perspective, which in the fashion world is very prevalent. So I was trying to find a middle point, another mm. space where people could feel they belong, where people could celebrate who they are, 
where we could just gather and maybe like heal as well from everything that's been going on, all of these, you know, there's so much combat, right? There's so much antagonism. So why can't we all gather and just like enjoy each other's presence, expand our sense of self by meeting and the other, right? We integrate the other in, in, in the I, and then we expand that sense of I. And I think a lot of us who migrate and who move, we do that, right? We, we do that process because we need to adapt and we need to recreate a new life. And yeah. I love what you're talking about immigration and layers because at the end of the day, I think, you know, all humans are immigrants. We all have come from the same place, you know, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years ago. And in a way, I think the Virgin of Guadalupe is a perfect example. I think I've talked about this before in one of the podcast episodes, but I'll talk about it again because I think it applies so well here. Um, when the Spaniards arrived in Mexico, what they did is, you know, they built all of the churches on top of the Aztec temples. And what the indigenous people did a lot of the time is they would hide um, little objects that would represent the local god. So with the Virgen of Guadalupe, the goddess of fertility uh, was represented by her. So Guatlicue was the actual, she became the Virgin of Guadalupe. So it became an actual blending of the two cultures, a true mestizaje. And if you go today to a lot of churches, you know, you can actually find this figurine behind the, the Virgen de Guadalupe. That's why it's such a powerful motif in, in Mexican mm -hmm. and all uh, Latin culture America, today. All through Latin America as well. Like a lot of people yeah. from all Latin America come here and they feel such a resonance, whether you're religious or not. It's still like a popular symbol. Like it's still in our inner yeah. unconscious in a way. So everyone that comes in, they have a story with La Virgen de Guadalupe. They share something. So they complete the space through the, the stories they share. And I, I was not aware it's such a, it was such a powerful symbol all through Latin America. But then I sort of learned that while I welcome people while here. doing it yeah my yeah. favorite photograph of all time um, by Graciela Iturbide one of the best Mexican photographers to ever live is of this guy without a shirt on yeah. and his back is like a complete tattoo of the Virgen de Guadalupe mm -hmm. and it's a very it's a black and white image you know it's clearly taken in, in a more rural town and it's a very beautiful image because for somebody to take an image and just you know like something so meaningful to be tattooed completely to take over your body with that is for me very, very strong. But I mean, I really think it speaks to this idea of immigration, right? Of, of blending cultures. And I see a lot of blending here as well with the American culture. You know, I see the dollar every because other... What is American culture, right? First of all, I come from Argentina. Like we're obsessed with dollars because our peso every time is losing, you know, value. So the thing in Argentina is since you're a kid, you understand the value of that green bill. You definitely do. Since I was a kid, I knew the whole economical system in Argentina, how much was the, the dollar. If I bought dollars at a certain point, I was going to you know, earn money from it. So I was investing with dollars. That was our investing. You know. So in a way, the dollar is not only coming from America itself. I mean, in all Latin America is structured as well by the value of the dollar. I mean, <laughs> but yeah, it's the aspect as well of like questioning what, what is American culture? While I was doing this in New York, as I told you, there was 30% Latinos. I was in an MFA that I was bringing this project that my professor was telling me, we cannot give you feedback because we don't understand what this is. And they were not even asking me, right? They were like, we don't understand what you're doing. We cannot give you feedback, which grant me more freedom. And I'm a lover of freedom. 
So I took it to my advantage and uh, I kept on researching and expanding this world, but I would go to the fabric shops and I would show them something and they were like, oh my God, yeah, I understand this, this, this and that. So for me at that mo moment, it was mind blowing how I'm supposed to be educating in a space where I'm not offered feedback, but then I go in the street and people are understanding what I'm doing. But then I go in art galleries and only 1.4% of art in mm. art galleries are Latin America, of which 8% of that 1.4 is women artists which come from Latin America. And I was like, what? So it, you know, it makes sense. And then I was going to all of these quinceañera parties, and I was like, but there's quinceañera Like for research? Yeah, for research. I went to, I, I went to photo, I have, a, I have like four terabytes of material. This is oh just a little, my God. this is the tip of the iceberg. How did you find these quinceañeras? I was friend of a DJ. You be friend I mean, for a DJ. friend. You be friend the DJ. Oh, that goes to all the quinceañera parties, and he will tell you. And then, of course, I would speak with the fathers to ask for permission. That's when I said, okay, maybe now I'm doing clothing. And that's when I started collaging and bringing all together into an exhibition proposal for which then I was awarded the SUNYPAC uh, prize at, at New York. And so it's like, you know, you, you have to follow the heart, follow these impulses. You know, even if a pandemic comes, a crisis, I come from a country that has had so many crises, you still have to wake up, reimagine yourself, recreate something, right? From the gender neutral monochrome, I recreated myself into something completely different. Um, so then, the first time I exhibited this in New York, it was in the art gallery at the Argent Argentine consulate, and it was just maybe one dress, and that's it. And then the next year, which was last year, the art and design gallery from FIT, they invited me and they were like, hey, you want to come and exhibit this? And it was a space this big, and I showcased eight looks. And it was for two months, I was already in Miami, and I went for four days to New York, and I sat. Four days I sat in the exhibition looking at people that were coming in. People were crying, some of them. Really? Because they were like, I've never seen something like this. And I cried. <laughs> they were really into it. And they were completing a part of their identity in a way by being immersed in that space. And they said, I mean, this is them sharing and me observing and asking as well, because I love asking questions. So when I was in New York, in, I started sort of doing these unveilings of La Virgencita, which were these glass murals in different art galleries in Miami. Because, you know, at that point, my budget was, you know, not limited, and you have to be resourceful with what you have, and I knew I wanted to keep on expanding this universe. And then, I, every time I walked past this place, I saw a white room, and I knew, like, that's the perfect white canvas. So I've been for a year walking next, next to this building and saying, like, I want to do something there. I want to do something there. And I started envisioning, right? I didn't know. Like, I didn't know if that was going to happen. And I knew I wanted to wallpaper all of it. I knew the, you know, the space I wanted to create, the installation. And I was doing, as well, a lot of workshops congregating the community at Instituto Marangoni, at Soho House, or outside, right, this space. And then, at the beginning of this year, I lost my drive with all like my Tera, you know, the external drive, with all my creative material of the past seven years. Oh my God. And I lost it. Bye. I'm God. so sorry. And then, you know, I was like, okay, this is a sign of God. I need to live, you know, my art life and I need to become, I don't know what, right? Yeah, I need to re-enter the world. I re yes, I need to re-enter the world as a, now that I have hair because I had shaved head for like three years, you know, now like, and then I was like, no. Now you can be respectable. Yeah, now, yes, yes. <laughs> now wearing you know, right, monogram right, clothing. Yes. 
And then I was like, no, let's see, right? I went to different places, finally one place. They took the drive, it took like a month, and they were like, hey, we recovered your stuff. No. And I was like, okay, wow. Okay, and then one, one week later, Ana Clara calls me and she's like, hey, we have this white canvas. Ana Clara's the curator. Yeah, the director of exhibition. Um, and she was like, we have this white space here. And I was like, uh-huh, I don't know which space. I don't know what you mean. <laughs> Do you want to do something in it? And I was like, yes, but you only have a month. Yes, uh-huh. <laughs> let's do it. Yeah. You already have the dresses, which are the ones that you I were already had the dresses. But I, I see also like some uh, masculine, you know, I see a charro. Yeah, because there was still a lot of conversations about gender identity and identity in general. Like it's called the machoriachi. <laughs> you know, mariachi? Yeah, the machoriachi. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, but one of the, the, the pillows you were talking about earlier, the hearts, Mm-hmm. Um, has actually a, an embroidered message, mm-hmm. which I think is very powerful. Viva nos queremos. Sí. Sí. Part, I mean, it's not part of the Green Wave because it emerged in Mexico. It came after, no. In, in Mexico, actually, yeah. in the marches in Mexico, yeah. like in the women. But, and that color for that was purple. The color was purple. Yeah. So now as well, there's a mix because usually feminism was signified by the color purple and then it started being signified by the color green. By the way, I spoke about this with a fashion teacher that she's from Latin America. She told me at that point in Latin America, there was a shortage of green fabric because everyone was wearing the green bandana. Um, so, Viva Nos Queremos, it's, a, it's a, a scream in a way, a claim to value the life of women. So, how can we create new conversations? I think that Viva Nos Queremos was a joint scream among million of women that went to the streets to say, you know, our life matters. And as a society, we need to be aware and we need to create policies around it and we need to create a, a better political and social and economical structure as well. But I'm also thinking as you're talking, and I mean, maybe I'm completely off, but I, why don't we have this for men as well? I love Quinceañeras. It. Yes. You know, for like the Jewish uh, religion the has the bar mitzvahs. For, for men, it's usually when they turn 18, they have like a bigger celebration. I thought you were going to say, why don't we have spaces for men to gather in community? Mm. And also like... Oh, we have those. I'm talking uh, more. Not, not, not in a space that's fostering real connection. Mm. Yeah. Does it make sense? Yeah, the, the gentleman clubs. Yes. And, yeah. So I'm also now reading a lot about masculinity. And it's, uh, I mean, I started with bell hooks, the will to change. So that's when my perspective on feminism changed a lot. Um, and it grants uh, another framework to incorporate as well the lives of men into this conversation about mm. when we speak about violence, when we speak about... Yeah, the ways in which we signify roles or the ways in which we value roles in society. And I think that brought me, as well as a woman from Latin America, a lot of a healing perspective as well in my exchange with, with men. Yeah. No, because I'm thinking of a... I'm coming from living 10 years in London. I'm thinking of an exhibition I went to in the Barbican that it was about... Because this is stereotypes, right? But it's stereotypes of men and what, what actually represents alpha males, mm-hmm. right? So in Spain, you have the toreros mm-hmm. or, you know, here in the U.S., uh, there's an amazing artist that did a video of, like, uh, the, the heads of fraternities, like, screaming into the camera and, like, showing their manliness and... You know, she brought together all of these ideas of what uh, masculinity was, and I guess the the charro or the you know the mariachi that that was a 
a valuable figure, but you're talking about spaces. And, you know, in London, I went to so many of these like private member clubs that for so many years, it was only men that could be members. Some of them are still the Garrick, um, the only places that they can only have men. But, but you go to these spaces and it's not what we're feeling now, which is a sense of community and vulnerability and a space where you can actually Even wellness, up. even wellness, because it's all about drinking, smoking and... And even. proving that you like are tough and are doing well in business and, you know, it's, it's a different it's relationship. It's a different conversation. Like, we don't have spaces where we can actually speak, have a conversation, connect. I've been giving classes here to students from 18 to 23, and I have been amazed because they tell me we cannot have conversations. We're all the time in social media, and, but we're actually not connecting. Mm. And when I have them in the space speaking, they open up, they share their stories. It's really moving. You can see there's something happening in the space that is not usual. How something that was so usual at some point in our lives became so unusual. Yeah. Connecting, looking each other in the eyes, you know? Exchanging life stories. Not holding my story as the true story, but really being willing to be open, hearing, hearing the other. So, yeah. yeah. No, I completely agree. I once wrote a poem about that, actually. And maybe I'll incorporate yes, it into the please. <laughs> Not going to read it now. But um, <laughs> I didn't know you wrote poems. Yeah, that's great. It's layers. Uh, but no, there's actually, it's, it fits into, I was reading this article the other day about, um, because, you know, the, we're talking about gender here and the trans movement is, is happening, taking us by storm right now. And some people feel, you know, very different types of ways about, you know, what's happening. If it's too extreme, you know, for kids, all of, there's all this uh, debate around it, no? But one thing that is true is I was reading this article of a trans man, you know, so he used to be a woman and he's saying that nobody warned him how uh, lonely it was going to be to be a man. Because before, when, when he was a woman, uh, he would go to the bathroom in a club and he'd make five friends, you know, and you'd never see those friends again. But it's a, it's a vulnerability that is very, very different, and I find. we're seeing it in the statistics as well of mental health. Like the suicide rate, I don't want to bring down the conversation in all of this color, <laughs> but it's something real. There's something very real happening right now. And, you know, as a, as a human being in this world, it's like, how can we create a different way of, of holding, holding community, holding space, holding one another? When you're an immigrant, you move from one place to the other, and really that holding of a community, holding, you enter school, the holding of the first friends you make, that makes a big difference in your life. So how can we, how can we keep on valuing that and celebrating that and and reaching our lives as well through that. Mm. Because the crisis in loneliness is only going up right now. And we need to do something. No one will do something for us. Like, we need to do something. Yeah, and social media is only going to amplify it even and more. Definitely. <laughs> well, I'm conscious of time, so I just want to ask you as we're wrapping up, what is happening with you as an artist moving forward? Are you going to keep pursuing fashion? Or are you going to move more towards if, a conceptual art? If someone would have asked, him, asked me where I was going to be like four years ago, I wouldn't have said, you know, every day I give my steps, I follow the values that I have, and they end up opening the, the right doors for me. So I'm very mindful of the way in which I'm walking right now in my life. And, um, and I see a few doors, and I'm just like preparing myself to step through them. 
the rest is unknown. <laughs> I'm are, building them. Are you going to keep any of these wonderful dresses? Because I saw some pictures I, of you wearing them. There's a few pieces I want to keep because I want to keep on rotating this exhibition in other places. There's a, a few places that might happen at some point soon. Um, so there's a core aspect of this that, that I wanted to keep on moving around. There's other pieces that are more replicable and they are like for sale. But some pieces I want them to be for a special person that will value the meaning of it and will cherish it, take care of it, and really, you know, just archive it. Wonderful. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for joining us on Sublime Art. I'm going to open up the questions to the audience Ooh, in case anybody has one. any. <laughs> please have we'll questions. If you like this episode, please rate, review, and subscribe on whatever platform you're listening to. You can also follow us on Instagram at Sublime Art Podcast. Don't miss our next episode where we explore the sublime with another artist.